And we are on air for Fan for Racing Radio today. It is Thursday, September the 21st, and we are here for our Fan for Racing's Texas NASCAR Weekend Preview and our Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, joining me shortly is our co-host, Jay Huseman, and I'm expecting him uh, sometime very soon. So uh, we'll look forward to hearing from him. And um, let's see, I'll go ahead and do our agenda for today, which is uh, kind of evolving because uh, I was a week ahead of myself for the Arkham Menard Series races coming up this uh, in two weeks. Okay, in our first half hour, we're going to do some short track races. We're going to let you know what races are coming up in both dirt and short track. And then um, we'll give you some updates. We'll maybe extend that a little bit. And then we'll also give you some updates on what's happening in ARCA. They are off this weekend. uh, And uh, they will be returning for races next weekend. So uh, was not looking forward to, was not expecting that uh, at this point. But at any rate. Uh, I also have some audio that we'll probably play uh, from Sammy Smith uh, from their media interview uh, that took place about a week ago in the Xfinity series. So we'll hear from him, and then Jay and I will comment on that. Uh, Then we'll give you the NASCAR Truck Series updates, and then we'll get into the NASCAR Xfinity and the NASCAR Cup Series races that are taking place this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, And, of course, we always uh, cap off our episode with our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. And uh, we actually have Brian and Andy both joining us uh, for that discussion, along with our co-host today, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, Good to be here on a Thursday morning into afternoon, and I'm excited because now we can talk about the topic we couldn't talk about on Monday. Brian owes us, man. Do you know how hard it was to bite (laughs) our tongues over that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We did kind of dance around it, but it ties in. I know you put an update as far as the schedule, too, so the NASCAR schedule for the top three all kind of ties into that package on what something Brian wanted to talk about. So we politely waited on him. And there's our promo for Hot Topic Sound Off uh, at the end of our show here today. Uh, So look forward to that for sure. But uh, let's go ahead and and, uh, share with everybody some of the upcoming races that are are, uh, on schedule here for the um, short track racing uh, that's coming up here. We'll, We'll start with Dirt Jay. Uh, I'll go ahead and do that because there's just one for September the 21st. That's today. And that's the USAC James Dean Classic at Gas City I-69 Speedway at 6.05 p.m. And that's on Flow Racing. And these are Eastern times as far as I know. So uh, look for that race to happen here tonight. And then we'll go to the 22nd. All right, for the dirt action there, we got stuff on both Flow Racing and Dirt Vision. So let me run down the Dirt Vision ones. The World Outlaw Sprint Cars, Four Crown Nationals. That'll be at Eldora Speedway at 5.45 p.m. 
rolling down at 7 o'clock there. It'll be weekly racing from Williams Grove Speedway at 7 o'clock, then at 7.15, weekly racing from Jacksonville Speedway. So that's what you got on Dirt Vision. Over on Flow Racing, we're going to do also cover the USAC Four Crown Nationals from Eldora, Eldora, night number two at 6.05 p.m. Then at 7 p.m., at the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series, the Jackson 100 at Brownstown Speedway, the Creek Classic, that'll be covered at 5 p.m. from 141 Speedway. And then they're also covering, covering the Mars Late Model uh, from Tri-City Speedway. That'll be on at 7.30 p.m. And at 8.30 p.m., got two different ones, the USAC East Coast Sprints, uh, Delaware International Speedway at 8.30. Also at that same time, man, I should know this one, the Magnolia State 100. Oh, that's right down here. Magnolia <laughs> Motor Speedway, home of the black ice, <laughs> as they are in town for the Cotton Picking 100. I knew you'd love that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, unfortunately, gonna... I'm going to be out of town, so I might have to cut and get locked oh. in on Flow Racing. <laughs> Okay, we'll move on to short tracks for September the 22nd. That's Friday, tomorrow. Uh, the Valley Star 300 qualifying will take place at Martinsville Speedway at 8 p.m. Weekly racing at Stafford Motor Speedway at 5.45 p.m. And the Pink Lady Classic at Meridian Speedway at 8.30 p.m., all covered on Flow Racing. Then we move over to Racing America. They have a couple of events they'll be televising or streaming, and that's the ASA Super Southern Super Series Blizzard Series at Five Flag Speedway. Uh, time to be determined, as is for the Quick Wick Superstock Championship at Delaware Speedway. But check that out over at Racing America. I'm sure they'll have the times posted there. So now we'll move on to September the 23rd for Saturday and the dirt racing that's taking place Saturday. On dirt, uh, we've got the World Outlaw Sprint Car Series back in action. That'll be at Sharon Speedway, 6.30 p.m. on Dirt Vision. And these times are not in order. Backing up to 6.05 p.m., the USAC ASOC Four Crown Nationals. Again, that's from Eldora Speedway. That'll be at 6.05 p.m. They actually started bottom up, but so we'll keep backing up in time. Yeah, Super Dirt Car Series. That's from unusual. Al- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Albany uh, <laughs> Saratoga Speedway at 5.45 p.m. And at 5.30 p.m., that's where it would start, looks like, for Dirt Vision. That is your weekly racing from Mildred Speedway. On Flow Racing, let me see if I can get the time squared here. First one would be Danny Serrano, 100. That'll be from Bridgeport Speedway at 6 p.m. on Flow Racing. Then we'll go to 7 o'clock, Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series. Again, the Jackson 100, a two-night show from Brownstown Speedway. 5 p.m., the Creek Classic, the 141 Speedway. That'll be on at 5 p.m. as well. Then 7.15, the Fall Hall. At 34 raceway at 7:15. At 7:30, you got your choice: Mars Late Models from Tri City Speedway and the Weekly Points Race from Port City Raceway. 
And at 8.30 p.m., the continuation of the Magnolia State 100 from Magnolia Motor Speedway. Okay, now we'll move over to short tracks for September 23rd, Saturday. Uh, Let me see. I don't know. I've got the same problem here. These are all out of order and some are yet to be determined. Uh, Let me start with flow racing at 1.15 p.m. The Napa Auto Parts Fall Final at Stafford Speedway will be available. Uh, Moving on with flow racing at 5 p.m., we've got the NASCAR Cecil Palm Tree 160 at Riverhead Raceway. And uh, let's see, also at Flow Racing, the Pink Lady Classic at Meridian Speedway at 8.30 p.m. Now we'll go uh, at 3 p.m., I missed this one, the Valley Star 300 at Martinsville at 3 p.m. will be available. All right, Racing America has a a few here. 3 p.m., the Monster Truck Throwdown at Slinger Super Speedway. Also at Racing America at 3 p.m. is the APC Late Model Series Championship, and that's at Delaware Speedway. Uh, uh, They don't have a time here for this one, but it's the ASA Southern Super Series Night of the Champions. That's at 5-5 Flag Speedway. Uh, continuation of that going on, and then Reveal the Hammer Outlaw Late Model Series at Owasso Speedway is available, uh, and the Pro Star Series at Spud Speedway available, uh, and the CRA Late Model Sportsman 200 at Anderson Speedway. Those are all uh, to be determined, but they are available at Racing America. So uh, head on over there, and uh, I'm sure you'll be able to find the times for all of those there. Did I miss any, Jay? No, I think you got them. Again, I don't know why they didn't list them in uh, chronological time order, but we got through it. Um, They usually do, so I'm a little surprised. But, yeah, we'll move on to the 24th. This is Sunday. And you still got a little bit of racing you can catch there. I mean, actually, you got racing you can pick up at all times there, but some live events there for the 24th, the Danny Serrano 100 from Bridgeport Speedway at 6 p.m. on Flow Flow Racing is what's going to be covered for dirt. And then for short tracks on the asphalt, you got the NASCAR Weekly Racing from Riverhead Raceway at 5 p.m. on Flow Racing. And, again, the archives, uh, you could watch racing all day, every day for a long time, picking up stuff from Dirt Vision or Flow Racing. (laughs) That is so true. Okay, we're going to kind of extend this a little bit because uh, we do have a champion here, uh, Connor Hall. A lot of you are familiar with that name from the NASCAR Truck Series. He races in that series on occasion. Well, he captured his first career NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series National Championship. And so uh, we're going to cover that here as part of our short track segment. So do you want to start there, Jay? All right, I'm trying to pull that one back up because I believe that was on Short Track. Was that on Racing America or Short Track Scene? Whoop. No, I sent it to you on the Teams page. I, yep, I got it now. Okay. Um, after winning that opening 11 races of the season at Langley Speedway, the 26-year-old Connor Hall captured his first NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series Championship. 
The championship is the first for a Langley Speedway-based driver in the top division of NASCAR's Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series in its 73 history of the track. The late Sean Beluzzo won the Division II national title back in 2012. And Hall's sorry, opening win. Uh, Hall's opening series of wins included the ten-week, ten weekly series late model stock event and the Cars Tour event on back on June third. He would go on to tally eighteen total wins in the twenty-six weekly series races. And those were at Langley, where he had fourteen wins. Hickory Motor Speedway, where he picked up three wins and then the Southern National Motorsports Park with one win and recorded 23 top fives and 24 top 10 results overall. Pretty impressive. The championship is a full circle moment for Hall, who got his start in racing at the age of eight with the Hampton Roads Kart Club at Langley. He competed in karts for seven years before trying his hand at arena racing and then legends cars. He began racing late models in 2014. Well, obviously, Hall is a professed late model stock car fan. As uh, running home from school on Mondays as a kid to watch highlight videos on YouTube that recap the exploits of drivers such as Lee Pulliam, Philip Morris, and Josh Berry at tracks like Southern Boston Speedway and the Motor Mile Speedway. Now, this makes winning the weekly series championship that much sweeter for the Virginia driver. The magnitude of the championship is just beginning to sink in for Hall, who marked a special anniversary in his late model racing career last weekend at Langley when he ran his first race of the point season. Oh, I'm sorry, when he ran his last race of the point season. Now, in addition to winning the weekly series national championship, Hall also picked up the Southeast Regional title along with that. Now, there's going to be a complete list of regional and state Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series champions and Justin's Rookie of the Year awards, as well as champions of other national divisions, and that will be released in the upcoming days. So watch for that to come out. You can watch, and you can watch uh, Hall as he next takes to the track this weekend. It'll be at the Martinsville Speedway in the Valley Star Credit Union 300, which is the nation's biggest, richest, and most prestigious NASCAR late model stock car race. And it's the final race in the Virginia Triple Crown finale, and that'll be on Saturday, September 23rd uh, that we talked about. Practice at 7 p.m. and qualifying then on 2 p.m. Friday the 22nd. Now, the two-time Advanced Auto Parts Weekly National Champion, uh, 2005 and 21, Peyton Sellers, as well as Brendan Butterbean Queen, the 2023 Triple Crown Points Leader and winner of the opening 23 Triple Crown Race at Langley, will also be featured in that race. The 2023 South Boston Speedway Track Champion Carter Langley is also slated to compete. So it sounds like it's going to be a pretty fun event uh, to take part in if anybody has a chance to do that. I've got a cousin that lives out there. I'm wondering if he'll be going. Uh, I certainly would try to if I were in that area. (laughs) Yes, indeed. All right, um, let's go ahead and give you a few Arkham Menard Series updates here. 
let me come over here. Their next races are actually next weekend. I was a whole week ahead of myself today when I was looking for information for these races and couldn't find it. Uh, the Atlas 200, it'll be September 30th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Salem Speedway, uh, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1, so I think that's going to be pretty exciting, and uh, I think fans will definitely want to take uh, part in that. That'll be the 19th race, so the penultimate race before their season finality, finale takes place at Toledo Speedway. Uh, in a couple more weeks. So uh, we'll have more details on that as time gets closer. But later that night, we'll also be able to take part in the Napa Auto Parts 150, September 30th, same date, uh, at 10.45 p.m., and that will be at All-American Speedway. Uh, that's, um, I, I think I said Kern County, but it's All-American Speedway. And that will be available via uh, Flow Racing uh, for live streaming. So, again, we'll have more details on both of those races coming up next week. Uh, but we wanted to make sure everybody knows that those races are taking place. Um, we, we've already reported that William Sawalich and Joe Gibbs Racing claimed the ARCA East title last week out at Bristol Motor Speedway. Yeah, great championship uh, run there for William Solich, as well as Luke Fanhouse. Uh, didn't come down to as close a battle as it could have been. Uh, we didn't know going into that final how it was all going to play out. Obviously, Solich winning uh, kind of takes care of that itself. But uh, there was a great battle there on the East, Arkham Menards East Series for their championship. And there's another feature over at Arca Racing. Uh, although Jesse Love is the series champion, he did finish second in this race uh, at Bristol. But in the process of doing that, he now has led more laps than any other driver in the Arca Menard Series this season. Uh, certainly a name that uh, we're going to hear for years to come with what he has been doing this year and throughout some of the short tracks as well. If uh, I know as we get over to um, Racing American short track scene, there's some articles there that cover even more on Jesse Love as he is uh, really jumping into this racing thing full bore. He certainly is. And you can see all the highlights of uh, Arkham Menard series and um, – uh, a, a lot of information is available there. Uh, again, they do have the week off this week, uh, a well-deserved week off this week, I might add. So we hope everyone's enjoying that time off uh, before they resume their racing next weekend, uh, both at uh, Salem Speedway and All-American Speedway. So uh, that's really great. Um, let's... Uh, Let's do this, Sal, or Sal. Now I'm calling you Sal. I always call him Jay. Uh, let's do this, uh, Jay. I do have here um, some information with regard to um, the ARCA, I'm sorry, the Xfinity series a week or so ago had their media uh, availability. And so what I want to do is uh, later on I'm going to play uh, the interview from Sammy Smith during that 
Xfinity Series Media Day. But I also want to go over the schedule uh, for the NASCAR Series, uh, all three NASCAR Series, uh, and what's left in all three of those series. So I'm going to kind of go through that now. We'll start with the Craftsman Truck Series, and that way I won't be needing to do that uh, when we do our notes and and previews a little bit later. Um, I'll start with the Truck Series. If you want to cover the Xfinity Series, and then I'll go to the the Cup Series. But for the the Truck Series, they are right now – in their playoffs round of eight, their first race was the UNOH 200 presented by Ohio Logistics at um, Bristol Motor Speedway last weekend. Their their next race, the middle part of their round of eight, will be at Talladega Super Speedway on Saturday, September the 30th at 1 p.m. The Love's RV uh, Stop 250. And that uh, will be covered over at uh, Fox Sports 1. Then their elimination race, that takes place Saturday, October the 21st at 12 p.m., the Baptist Health 200 at Homestead uh, Speedway at 12 p.m. Eastern, again covered on Fox Sports 1. And then, of course, also covered on Fox Sports 1 will be their playoff championship for race. And that will take place Friday, November the 3rd at 10 p.m., the Craftsman 150 at Phoenix Raceway. So what is that? One, two, three. Only three more races left for the truck series. That's just amazing. (laughs) Well, and for the Xfinity Series, they started their seven-round playoff set at Bristol Motor Speedway. Justin Auger are picking up that victory. They'll now move on to Texas Motor Speedway, which you can catch on USA uh, for the Andy Frozen's Custard 300 this weekend. Then as a group, they all kind of all three series move to Charlotte Motor Speedway. No, I'm sorry. They get a break as they move or don't race until October 7th um, at Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. The Cup Series goes to Talladega in between there, I believe, along with the Truck Series. Yeah, I'll cover the so that'll be their, next. So they uh, they got a week off in there. Then it'll be Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Homestead Miami Speedway, and then they will also wrap or finish their round at Martinsville Speedway, and that'll be on October 28th. And then they all come together again at Phoenix Raceway for Championship Weekend on November 4th. So, again, Justin Hoggar, the only one to advance so far in the Xfinity Series or lock himself in to advance, put it that way. Okay, we'll move on now to what's going on here in the uh, NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, They actually have uh, this first race of the round of 12. They've already completed uh, their round of 16 and four drivers were eliminated. Now they move on to the round of 12. That's this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, the Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 400, and that'll be on USA uh, Network this weekend uh, at 3.30 p.m. In October, they're going to move then to the middle part of the round of 12. On October 1st at 2 p.m., the Yellowwood 500 at Talladega Super Speedway, uh, and that'll be on NBC. 
and then their elimination race on October 8th at 2 p.m. will be the Bank of America Robo 400 on the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course. That also will be televised on NBC. Uh, so then we find out who are the four drivers that will be eliminated from the round of 12 and who moves on to the playoff round of eight. Uh, They opened that up at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. I'm glad to say I'm going to be there again this year. Uh, October 15th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, and that will be the South Point 400 televised on NBC. Then they move on on October 22nd to the middle part of the round of eight. At 2.30 p.m., uh, they'll race the NASCAR Cup Series race at Homestead, Miami, and that will be televised on NBC. Uh, then Sunday, October 29th, 2 p.m. In Eastern Time, the Xfinity 500 will be the elimination race at Martinsville Speedway, televised on NBC. That's going to be exciting. That's when four more drivers are eliminated, and we find out who the championship four are that move on to Phoenix Raceway on November 5th for the 3 p.m. race, the NASCAR Cup Series Championship event at Phoenix at on NBC. So uh, that's one, four, uh, six, that's um, seven more races left in the uh, NASCAR Cup Series. So uh, a lot of exciting racing uh, left to take place here. And, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of grids that have been broken in the uh, – NASCAR Cup Series, Xfinity Series, and uh, Truck Series, because there's been a few surprises this season. There has been, you know, I know, and that's what makes it so tough, especially with how competitive it is now at all these levels. I know in the Cup Series, there's a lot of talk about that throughout the week um, as they got their first round of eliminations. Um, Kevin Harvick, obviously not this season. He's wanted to have or is a usual for Kevin Harvick, but did make the playoffs, but then eliminated the record breaking and setting. Unfortunately, Joey Logano last year's champion eliminated in the first round, uh, first time in history there. But again, you can't say it was a complete surprise. It was very unfortunate because it was not of his doing as he got involved in an accident. Yes. Yes. It's just, um, been a lot of some surprises there so i can't wait to see how it uh, continues as the season progresses with those next seven races okay i'm going to move on now to the um interview that we have here for uh sammy smith uh we're not going to take a full 15 minutes for this jay i'm just going to play uh, a little bit of that interview because it took what place a, a couple weeks ago and they've already raced since then, they've already raced the first race of their round of 12 playoff. Uh, so the Sandy's Custard Foes and 300 will be the second race of their uh, uh, round of 12. And so keep that in mind as we listen. Uh, the interview is actually 12, just a little over 12 minutes long. So I'm only going to play about five minutes of it, and then you and I can comment on it, and then we'll move on to our truck series update. Okay? All right. I'm going to hit record. So we'll be good to go here. And to kick us off, we're going to go to Matt Weaver. Matt, go ahead with your question. Hey, family. Thanks for taking time today. Um, first one for you. 
Uh, what's kind of gone wrong the last two months? Because I, I know everyone wants to peak around this time heading into the playoffs, and a lot's not gone your way. Yeah, for sure. That's a, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think it's just been um, wrong place, wrong time. I feel like it's, we've been in good positions while we were running. Where we were running that we got wrecked. Um, I think we've had a lot of speed and have brought speed to the track every week. And um, I think it's just something to where it's just been a, it's been a rough couple weeks uh, to where we, we've had speed and we've been running up front and we just have been getting taken out. Um, so like it's, I don't really know. I don't, I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in any of that stuff. So I don't really know what, what to call it. I think we just got to kind of reset again. Like, we, you know, we, we reset, I go solid reset at Kansas and we were really fast there. We, like good practice, good qualifying, good first two stages, and just got taken out there um, and nothing I could do about it. So I think just trying to reset, um, have a strong mental side of things and uh, try to keep going to the playoffs with a good mindset. And I, I know we have the team, we have the uh, the cars to do it, and we just got to uh, go uh, execute. From that standpoint, um, if this was a, you know, a regular 33 race, season schedule or whatever, the, the misfortune would have cost you a chance to race for a championship, and now you have to reset, and yeah. it's kind of a brand-new season. So I, I imagine that's something that you would embrace because it puts you right back in the mix. For sure, yeah. Like you said there, I saw something a week ago that if it was the old time where they did the, the regular 33 races, that they would be like 13th in points. So, yeah, that was uh, definitely, you know, exciting to get the playoffs started this week, and I think it um, honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't change anything of what we're doing. It doesn't change my mindset. It doesn't change anything. I think it's just another reset that, to where we can we can run up front and we can uh, we can be there. And I think we just got to execute and we can uh, make it to the final four. All right. Our next question will go to Jordan Bielke. Go ahead, Jordan. Yeah, I think we're close. Um, still figuring out some things. I have a good management team and. Um, obviously, hopefully we have some stuff to announce soon. What percent chance do you put it at that you uh, return to Joe Gibbs Racing? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm uh, not going to talk about that today. I'm here to focus on the playoffs. I know. I know you got a job to do and uh, take stuff at me, but yeah, I just I'm still working on things. Very good. Appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks. All right, our next question will go to Rob, and then we'll go to Mitchell. Go ahead, Rob. Thanks, Amanda, and thanks for joining us today, Sammy. Appreciate it. Knowing that the season finale is at Phoenix and having won at Phoenix, how much of a confidence booster is it to know that if you were able to make it to the championship four, that you have a good chance to go to the track that you're really good at? And then secondly, what are some of the great intangibles you've learned from racing at JGR this year? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, one of the positives of only winning once this year that it's been at the track that the final four races at, and um, I felt like we were really, really fast. We were very dominant. Um, I think we just got to, you know, make it to that final four, and I think it's just all about execution. Um, JGR has been awesome to me this year with, with everybody, with my teammate, uh, John Hunter, my group team, Jabo, the whole A-team team has taught me a lot, and I think uh, we just got to um, go execute that and try to, uh, you know, have a good solid race, three races this first round, and, and then take the, uh, the second round as it comes, I think. We don't need to look too far ahead of ourselves, and I think we just got to take one race at a time. Sounds good. Best of luck. Yeah, thanks. All right, Mitchell, go ahead. Sammy, obviously you had that big win earlier this year at Phoenix. 
I know you said that you're not looking too far ahead, but is that an extra motivating factor that, hey, if you go out and make championship for you prove that you can go get the job done at Phoenix? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely a confidence booster, I guess, in a way. I'm sure the other three cars that are in the championship four, if we make it there, are going to be equally as good. Um, and, you know, you know how stuff is. Everyone does. It's gonna, They're going to get better. It's, it's, we're going to have to get better. We're not going to go back to the track with the same package. Um, you know, that would just be kind of foolish of us to do that and think that we're going to just go there and dominate again because that, that would not be the case. So I think it definitely gives us confidence to go there and, and, and try to think we can have a shot. I, I know we'll be good. I think I think that every week, and, and I think we've kind of shown some speed here and there, but just, uh, we just got to get these uh, playoffs started right and get the uh, get the stuff turned around that's not going right. Okay. I, it should be noted that uh, uh, Sammy Smith finished ninth at Bristol Motor Speedway after that interview. And then also uh, he is currently ranked seventh in the series point standings. He's 60 points back from the leader uh, and just five points ahead of the cut line uh, for the round of eight. So uh, your thoughts about his interview? Well, I think it was a great one to have as far as an interview that we played there. Um, as a rookie in the Xfinity series and new to the playoff format, uh, that was a big thing I took there. You know, he talked about in the past that he's been one of those kind of like we've seen Jesse Love or these other drivers in the Arkham Menard series run year-long and be in the points. With only the one win and having a rough streak, um, if you will, over the last couple of months maybe with results, of that reset and knowing what they did throughout this season, put them back in, in position where they, they can go back at it, refocus, as he said, to reset. And he's doing that as a driver. The good thing he mentioned it there, though, is they've had the speed. They've been running in good positions. Uh, he said he didn't believe in luck and just bad situations around him or whatever that he was involved in, but he's not letting him take, it, uh, take him down. Um, so I thought that was really good for him as a rookie to focus on that. And also the maturity level uh, had a question there. He didn't want or couldn't answer as of yet. Handled that really well. He said, hey, I, I understand <laughs> you guys are trying to do your job, but uh, when I we got something to tell you, know. I'll tell you type answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, can't blame the guy for asking. I think as media members, we always want to try to find find out as quickly as we can, if at all possible. Okay, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on now. We, uh, Trashman Truck Series is not racing this weekend. Uh, they're taking before. Uh, they're going to be back on track for that uh, Loves RV truck stop 250 Saturday at Talladega, Saturday September the 30th at Talladega Super Speedway. So, uh, but we do have some updates that we want to share with everybody uh, before that happens. And it starts with uh, kind of a uh, team change. Well, there's a couple of them here that, uh, again, they may not be running in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, but some are and uh, some news. And we'll start with Rackley War. They've made a driver change, or they will make a driver change for the last three remaining races of 2023. Now, following Bristol, Rackley War announced that a new driver will get behind the wheel of the number 25 Rackley War Chevrolet for the remainder of the season. The team, in its third year as a full-time Craftsman Truck Series, 
made history this season, becoming the first Tennessee-based Craftsman Truck Series to make a run in the playoffs. However, the team was eliminated from the round of 10 at Kansas Speedway. Matt DiBenedetto had already announced he was not returning to the team next year, but once eliminated from the playoffs, this announcement came that they'll go ahead and make uh, a change here for these final three races. Okay, yeah. Um, I can't wait to see how that uh, plays out because uh, there is, uh, you know, we know that um, uh, Matt DiBenedetto announced that he was looking for a new race team. Uh, So it's kind of interesting that he's not going to finish out the season with them. Uh, But we'll talk more about that maybe later. Uh, Carson Hosefar is going to get back behind the wheel, though, with that number 42 Legacy Motor Club Chevrolet in the NASCAR Cup Series at Texas and Talladega. He normally races in the truck series, uh, but on Sunday, Legacy Motor Club announced that uh, the, the truck series playoff contender and standout driver Carson Hosevar is going to be back behind the wheel with that number 42 Sunseeker Resort Chevrolet Camaro ZL1 for two more events at uh, Texas Motor Speedway and Talladega Super Speedway. The 20-year-old driver served term driver for the last several cup races at Darlington, Kansas, and Bristol. Uh, He comes from Portage, Michigan, and has scored three finishes inside the top 20 with his best finish coming just last weekend when he placed 11th. So uh, I think that's a well-deserved opportunity for uh, Carson Hosevar to be back in that number 42. It is, and there's a couple layers to this one real quick. Throw some um, personal notes in there. We know what Legacy Motor Club is going to do next year with John Hunter Nemechek, but he's involved in the Xfinity Series Championship and already has experience in the cup cars, so they don't necessarily need to move him up uh, right now so I think allowing Carson Hosevar, and that name's going to come up again later on, um, to get these starts uh, is working real well for the team. And that team right now, oddly enough, announced they were leaving Chevrolet to go to Toyota, running maybe the best they have all season. So that's kind of an oddity. Yeah, it's really cool, though, to see it happening. So we've got some clinch scenarios to take a look at for the three spots that are left. When we look at that, you're right. With the headed to Talladega, we got one race down in the round of eight. So we'll look at what can happen at Talladega. Now, already clinched is Corey Heim picking up that victory. Now, if there's a repeat winner or win by a driver who cannot advance into the next round, drivers could clinch by being 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings. And the same would hold true if a new win comes from either Christian Eckes or Carson Hosevar. So with that, Christian Eckes or Carson Hosevar would only be able to clinch with a little bit of help. The, when we look at the point standings, they're really tight. Now, if there's a new winner from Grant Infinger or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, again, you'd need the 56 points above the second winless driver, which nobody would be able to do without help, and that's Christian Eckes. But drivers that can still advance on their win alone, that includes Eckes and Hosevar Enfinger. Also, Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, Nick Sanchez, and Ty Majeski. 
Yeah, it's uh, pretty cool to see how tight this is. And uh, a lot can still happen. Talladega, we all know that's a wild card race. So the the standings could really get shaken up uh, if uh, uh, there's a a lot of action on the track, which uh, I'm pretty sure is going to happen. Most certainly, and we know that from Talladega. Okay. Uh, Right now, uh, talking about how tight it is, uh, the three drivers, I'm sorry, the four drivers that are above the cut line, they all have three wins apiece. That's Corey Heim, Christian Eckes, Carson Hosfar, and Grant Infinger. Um, And they are... uh, Corey Heim, as you mentioned, he's in on the win. Christian Eckes... is 29 points back, Carson Hosford 22 points back, and Grand Infinger only 14 points, I'm sorry, above the cut line. Uh, That's the amount that they are above the cut line. So 29 points above for Christian Eckes, 22 points above, and 14 points above for Grand Infinger. Those that are below the cut line, Zane Smith has the two wins, Ben Rhodes has one, Uh, Nick Sanchez and Ty Majeski do not have wins yet. So uh, let's see. Zane Smith is 14 points below the cut line. Ben Rhodes, 19 points. And Nick Sanchez and Ty Majeski are both 22 points behind that cut line. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, But Corey Himes already punched his ticket, Jay. Yeah, and that's the easiest way with how tight those points are. Win and you move on, which is what Corey Heim has done. Now, it's Christian Eckes, though, that was dominant in Thursday's Uno 200 at Bristol Motor Speedway as he sat on the pole and swept stage one and two for leading 150 of the 200 laps. But it's the end. Five laps to go. It was the regular season champion, Corey Heim, who made that late race pass on Eckes to take the checkered flag. Driver of the number 11, Tricon Garage, Toyota Tundra TRD Pro, claimed the victory by 0.218 seconds. And that marks his third Craftsman Truck Series victory of the season, his first at Bristol, and the fifth of his overall career in just 38 races. The 21-year-old will now get to breathe a little easier as the competitors head to Talladega next weekend knowing that win secured him in the first spot of the championship four race at Phoenix uh, Phoenix Raceway coming up on November 3rd. Now, although Eckes, driver of the number 19 McNally Hilgerman Racing Chevrolet, was in complete control of that race until he ran into lap traffic with under 10 laps remaining, he managed to cross the finish line behind Heim, which was his ninth top five finish of the season. The 22-year-old is only one point behind Corey Heim in the standings. And then as for the other NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series playoff contenders in the round eight, Bristol was kind of most of them. Enfinger third, host of our fourth, Road seventh, Sanchez ninth, Majeski 19th, and Smith 24th. Those were the two you saw that 22 and 19 point gaps. Uh, big thing is though, with it being that tight in the points and that tight on the track, every single position matters. It certainly does. Okay, we'll wrap up the the truck series here as they begin preparations for a wild race at Talladega. Um, And uh, I will just say 
uh, we're going to cover a little bit of history here. Uh, they have a week off in order to regroup and go over strategy before they head to Talladega for their middle race in the round of eight. Uh, the 2.66-mile super speedway has hosted 17 truck series races since the inaugural event took place in October of 2006. It was won by Martin Truex, I'm sorry, Martin, Mark Martin, driving the number six Roush Racing, now known as uh, RFK, Ford. Notably, there have been 12 different race winners and 15 different pole winners. Talladega has uh, participated in the Truck Series playoffs since its inception in 2016, and the 2023 season marks the third time that the Super Speedway has hosted the fifth race in the playoffs. They did it in 21, 22, and 23. This is the third different uh, spot that Talladega has resided in the playoff schedule. In 2016, 17, and 18, the track played host to the third playoff race. In 2019, it moved to host the fourth race, but moved back to the first round elimination race in 2020. All seven previous playoff races at Talladega have been won by non-playoff drivers. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and these are all fall races. So Grant Dinfinger won in 2016. Uh, it was race number 19, as it was for the next two drivers, Parker Kligerman in 17 and Timothy Peters in 18. In uh, 2019, it was the 20th race. Spencer Boyd won that race. Raphael Assard won the 19th race in 2020. And then the 20th race for was won by Tate Fogelman in uh, 21, and Matt DiBenedetto won that race in 2022 as the 21st race. After this week of break, the drivers will kick off their fifth playoff weekend with qualifying at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Saturday, September the 30th. So definitely looking forward to uh, the Truck Series being back on track at Talladega. But this weekend, we have the NASCAR Xfinity Series and East Frozen Custer 300 at Texas Motor Speedway this Saturday, September 23rd at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be on the USA Network at 3 p.m. Eastern, and we'll have radio coverage available on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll race a distance of 300 miles, over 200 laps. First two stages are 45 laps each. Stage one ends on lap 45, stage two on lap 90. And the final stage will be 110 laps, ending on lap 200. So what do we have here for the Xfinity Series, Jay? Well, a couple things to look forward to, as we already talked about a little bit. Drivers kind of getting, um, we call it, previews for next year or opportunities that may lead to something next year. Mm-hmm. We're going to start with Daniel Dye, as he's going to make three Xfinity starts here in 2023. And Daniel Dye, who's in his rookie season in the Craftsman truck, truck Series, he'll be making those three starts this season behind the wheel of number 44 Chevrolet with Alpha Prime Racing. Dye will kick off that three-race stint this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, and then he'll continue on to Las Vegas Motor Speedway before closing out his Xfinity Series run at Phoenix Raceway. 
Okay, that's good news for Daniel. Also, uh, we kind of talked a little bit about this on uh, Monday night. Lane Riggs is going to make his Xfinity Series debut at Texas. College Racing is tapping the 21-year-old Lane Riggs for the race this weekend at Texas. He's going to get behind the wheel of the number 11 Chevrolet for his debut in that series. Although this is his first stint in the Xfinity Series, he has made a total of six starts in the truck series, posting one top five and two top tens. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does in that college uh, number 11. Certainly one that we've been watching as he advances through the different stages of his racing career. Now, you want some that, help on this next one, Jay? Um, yeah, if we want to go every other one, all right. We're going to take a look. We're going to scout the playoff field here at Texas. As the NASCAR Xfinity Series drivers range in experience at Texas Motor Speedway from veterans to rookies. So we're going to look at how they've performed at the 1.5-mile track. Okay, I guess we'll start with Josh Berry. He's in that final playoff spot. Berry heads to Texas with three starts on his resume, and those three starts include two top tens and having led 46 laps. All right, Parker Kligerman is in the 11th playoff spot, and he heads to Fort Worth, Texas after a 10-year hiatus. He's only made three starts at the track, most recently back in 2013, where he did post a 12th-place finish and a 13th place, respectively. Sam Mayer is in his second Xfinity Series playoff appearance. He sits 10th in the standings and has three starts. At Texas, he's posted one top five and two top ten finishes in those three starts. Jeb Burton heads to Texas for the Andy's Frozen Custard 300, ninth in the overall standings. But he's made ten starts at Texas Motor Speedway, where he's posted one top five, three top tens, and led 12 laps. Next, we have Sheldon Creed. Right now, he's eighth in the playoff standings. He, so he's sitting on that cut line for the round of eight. He heads into the Lone Star State with two starts under his belt, and one of those starts resulted in a top ten finish. We heard from Sammy Smith, a 19-year-old rookie, sitting seventh in the standings. He'll be making his series debut at the 1.5-mile Texas track this weekend, so that'll be a little interesting. Yes, it is. Uh, Daniel Hemrick, the 2021 Xfinity Series champion, heads into the weekend being sixth in the playoff standings. He's made eight starts at Texas, posting three top fives. He has four top tens, and he's led 161 laps. Last year, uh, two years ago, he posted a runner-up finish at Texas Motor Speedway. The other rookie in the Xfinity Series is Chandler Smith, also named Smith. Now, so this one, Chandler (laughs) sits fifth in the playoff standings, and he also, though, will be making his series track debut at Texas Motor Speedway this weekend. Okay, Austin Hill, he heads to Texas, uh, sitting fourth in the standings. He's making his fifth start on the track, and in his four previous starts, he's posted two top fives, two top tens, and he's led 17 laps. The 29-year-old is sure to push for the win as he's posted a runner-up finish in last year's Texas playoff race there. So uh, we know he's certainly capable of doing that. 
Well, as they say, the cream rises to the top, and this is where it is. Tie that into the custard. I don't know if that's considered a cream, but you got <laughs> Cole Custer third in the playoff standings. Now, Custer has made six starts at the 1.5-mile Texas track, where he's posted one win in 2018, four top fives, five top tens, and led a total of 16 laps. We have John Hunter Nemechek. Right now he's sitting second in the playoff standings, and he heads into the weekend with five Texas starts. He's posted one win two years ago in 2021. He has three top fives, four top tens, and he's led 158 laps there. And Justin Algar, kind of on cruise control as he's already won and then locked in or clinched into the round of eight. But Algar heads to Texas with 25 starts under his belt. In those 25 starts, he's posted five top fives, 13 top tens, and led a total of 226 laps. Best finish, a runner-up, and that came back in 2021. Okay, real quick, we'll look at some clinch scenarios here as the playoffs continue. Uh, Again, um, Justin's already clinched his spot with his win at Bristol last weekend. That leaves 11 drivers competing for the seven remaining spots. So uh, with Justin already clinched in, uh, we'll look at the others. If there's a repeat winner by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, these drivers can clinch by being 56 points above the seventh winless drivers in the standings. And the same holds true if a new win comes from among the playoff contenders, John Hunter Nemechek, Cole Custer, Austin Hill, Chandler Smith, Daniel Hennemann, or Sammy Smith. Now, John Hunter Nemechek uh, would clinch with 45 points, uh, but he'll need 56 points if Austin Hill or Chandler Smith wins. He'll need 47 points if Daniel Hemrick wins, and 49 points if Sammy Smith wins. Uh, these drivers all gonna, are all going to need help, meaning somebody has to have a bad day, uh, and they need to have a really good day. And that's Cole Custer, Austin Hill, Chandler Smith, Daniel Hemrick, and Sammy Smith. Now, if there's a new winner from among Selden Creed or another winless driver low in his standings, but still eligible to advance to the next round, uh, they'll need 56 points above the sixth winless driver in this in the standings. John Hunter Nemechek needs 49 points in order to clinch, but the other drivers are all going to need help. That's Cole Custer, Austin Hill, Chandler Smith, and Daniel Hemrick. Of course, all of the playoff drivers uh, can clinch with a win, and even some of those uh, that may be below, well, no, they need a win. Uh, so that's John Hunter Nemechek, Cole Custer, Austin Hill, Chandler Smith, Daniel Hemrick, Sammy Smith, Sheldon Creed, Jeff Burton, Sam Mayer, Parker Twiggerman, and Josh Berry. So there's your clinch scenarios. Well, and we see it again. Uh, more drivers and more races, um, if you will, or spots available, but it's so tight, even those clinch scenarios, nobody's able to just uh, kind of ride around. So going to have to go, up, exactly. go after it here. As the Xfinity Series playoffs continues in the Lone Star State. The Xfinity Series kicked off the 2023 playoffs last weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway, and the opening race saw Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar take that checkered flag. With that win, Algar clinched his spot into the playoffs round of eight, and that'll 
which that round will start at Las Vegas Motor Speedway coming up on October 14th. But they now head to Texas Motor Speedway for the Andes Frozen Custard 300. And although the Fort Worth track has been on the Xfinity Series playoff circuit since its inception in 2016, this will be the first time the track will play host to the second race of the postseason. Now, Texas has occupied four different spots in the playoff schedule. Prior to this season, Texas Motor Speedway has hosted the fourth race in the playoffs or the round of eight opener uh, from 2016 to 2020. And then it was the third race of the playoffs in 2021 and the postseason opener in 2022. Now, in total, the 1.5-mile Texas track has hosted 44 Xfinity Series races, which has produced 24 different race winners and 26 different pole winners. Six races have been won from the pole or first starting position, most recently by Ryan Blaney in 2016. NASCAR Cup Series star Kyle Busch has made quite the name for himself at Texas Motor Speedway as he holds the record in almost all categories in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Let's start with most wins at 10, poles at 4, top 5s at 17, top 10s at 18, and lead lap finishes at 20. Also, laps led 1,795. Now, there are only two previous winners entered into this weekend's Andy Frozen, Andy's Frozen Custard 300. Both happen to be playoff drivers. Cole Custer snagged his win in 2018, while John Hunter Nemechek took the checkered flag in 2021. Now, the Xfinity Series drivers, they'll have an action-packed Saturday as they hit the track for practice at 10.35 a.m. Eastern Time. That'll be followed by qualifying at 11.05 which will be streamed on the NBC uh, NBC Sports app. And that's Saturday, September the 23rd. Okay, next up we'll go to the NASCAR Xfinity, I'm sorry, Cup Series for the Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 400 at Texas Motor Speedway on Sunday, September the 24th. That'll be at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time and will be televised on the USA Network at 3 p.m. Eastern. Radio coverage is PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90 on Sirius XM. They'll race a distance of 400.5 miles over 267 laps. The first two stages are 80 laps each. Stage one, of course, ends on lap 80. Stage two on lap 160. And then the last lap is going to be 107 laps, and that will end on lap 267. Well, as we wrap up the final seven races of the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season, there's some milestones to watch for. For starts, drivers that are expected to make their milestone start during this season yet are uh, Ryan Blaney here at Texas Motor Speedway, which would be his 300 NASCAR Cup Series start. Blaney will become the 100th different driver to make 300 or more starts in the NASCAR Cup Series this weekend. Blaney, at the age of 29 years, 8 months, 23 days, come this Saturday, would become or Sunday, sorry, come the fifth youngest driver in NASCAR Cup Series history to make their 300th career start. That'd be behind Joey Logano, who was 26 years old, Kyle Busch was 27, Richard Petty, 28, and David Reagan, 29 years, 4 months, and 10 days. 
Uh, coming up at Talladega on October 1st, that'll be Eric Jones' 250th Cup Series start. Daniel Suarez would hit his 250 at Martinsville at the end of October. Ryan Priest will hit 150 at Martinsville. Ty Gibbs already in his rookie season here looking to hit his 50th start at Martinsville Speedway. And then at Phoenix Raceway to wrap up the season, Denny Hamlin would make his 650th Cup Series start, as well as Ricky Stenhouse Jr., but he's only at the 400 start mark. Now, when we look at driver only. wins, <laughs> what's that? Only, I said yeah. only. <laughs> yeah. Uh, driver wins. Imagine this. Kyle Busch currently leads all active drivers in career wins with 63. He's followed by Kevin Harvick at 60, Denny Hamlin, 51, Brad Keselowski, 35, Martin Truex Jr., 34, Joey Logano, 32, and Kyle Larson at 22. While those drivers have a few more opportunities to add to their list. This one's a big one for organizations. As we close in on NASCAR Cup Series win number 300 for Hendrick Motorsports, they currently sit at number 299 team wins at NASCAR's highest level, which is the most all-time in the Cup Series. Hendrick Motorsports will look for their 300th victory this week, or looked for it last weekend at Bristol, but Wood Brothers is also on the cusp of a milestone victory in the Cup Series as they are looking for their 100th NASCAR Cup Series win. Hendrick Motorsports leads all active NASCAR Cup Series organization in wins with that 299 they're followed by Joe Gibbs Racing at 207, RFK Racing at 14, I'm sorry, 141, uh, Team Penske at 137, Richard Childress has 116, and then just under the 100 mark, you got Wood Brothers Racing at 99, Stuart Haas Racing is at 69, Trackhouse Racing already got five, as well does 2311 Racing, and Front Row Motorsports has four. JTG Dottery Racing has two, and then Colleg Racing and Spire Motorsports each have one. We talked about organizations, then comes the manufacturer. Here again, we're closing in on a NASCAR Cup Series win number 850 for Chevrolet, currently sitting at 846. Again, that's the most all-time in the Cup Series. Ford has the second most wins all-time in the Cup Series at 712. Toyota is fifth at 179. In between there at third, you got Dodge at 213, and then Plymouth at fourth with 189. And this one's a, a different one. It has a lot of different uh, participants. Hey, Sharon, uh, you might have something to say about this one. The number 99 car is looking for their 50th win in the NASCAR Cup Series. Okay. All right, the Bushlight Clash, big news this week is uh, they are going to return to the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum in 2024, and they're not just returning to it. The, uh, they're adding more racing power-packed lineup 
to the schedule here. NASCAR announced this week that the NASCAR Mexico Series will race on Sunday, February 4th, and will proceed its season opening exhibition featuring the stars of the NASCAR Cup Series, the third annual Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum. And that means that fans can enjoy two great races in one day inside the greatest stadium in the world. So NASCAR has opened its season in the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum for the past two years. Joey Logano won the inaugural event in 22, while Martin Truex Jr. hoisted uh, the trophy earlier this season uh, beneath that Olympic cauldron in February. So now the NASCAR Mexico Series driver will also have an opportunity to celebrate a triumph inside the International Stadium that's hosted two Super Bowls, two Olympics, a World Series, and countless other major events over the past 100 years. The roots of NASCAR's Mexico Series were planted in 2004, and three years later it became NASCAR's first internationally sanctioned series. It competes on tracks throughout nine major cities in Mexico, providing race fans with some of the most intense stock car racing on the planet. Current NASCAR Cup Series star in 2016, Xfinity Series champion Daniel Suarez began his stock car racing career in the NASCAR Mexico Series in 2008. And other NASCAR Mexico Series alumni like Max Gutierrez and Andres Perez de Lara are working their way up the NASCAR Touring ladder. The list of NASCAR Mexico Series drivers competing at the Coliseum on February 4th is expected to be announced at a later date, along with today's uh, full day of activities of racing and entertainment. NASCAR on Fox will once again broadcast the Bushlight Clash to set the stage for the 24 NASCAR Cup Series season. The NASCAR Mexico Series race will be broadcast on Fox Sports 3 in Mexico and available pan-regionally on Claro Sports and D-Sports Channel on DirecTV. So uh, that's pretty exciting, That uh, and I think that's a good addition uh, to the Clash at the Coliseum to bring in the NASCAR Mexico Series. It is, and we had a good discussion on that on Hot Topics uh, already. And I know Mike can't join us today, so I'll let him go ahead and get his jibe in. If he were here, he would say, Jay can say the word Coliseum, but apparently can't spell it. So uh, we miss you, Mike. I know he's out uh, having some fun for the day. But as always, when we look at – oh, no, I skipped one. What do we got here? Hutch Games uh, going to team up with NASCAR to unleash a new standalone mobile game. Hutch, which is a renowned automotive mobile game developer behind the hit titles such as the F1 Clash and Top Drivers, has announced a new partnership with NASCAR. That partnership will see Hutch develop a new standalone title for mobile, uh, combining the studio's expertise in creating automotive games along with NASCAR's world-renowned brand. And NASCAR celebrating its 75th anniversary this year, the sanctioning body for the number one form of motorsports in the United States and one of the most recognized motorsports organizations in the world. Offering fans high-speed side-by-side racing with thrilling passing and aggressive strategy, NASCAR has reached a diverse global audience. With millions of fans watching a worldwide and a rich history of high-octane racing, NASCAR is a perfect match for Hutch's game development pedigree. 
Hutch will lead the development of the new title in collaboration with NASCAR, working closely to build that ultimate mobile experience for fans around the globe. The new game, which is due to be fully revealed in due course, will leverage Hutch's extensive development experience with licensed IPs to bring fans their dream game on mobile. Okay. Next, we'll talk about Big Hoss, uh, and we know about Big Hoss at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, they're saying it's to become bigger in time for the NASCAR weekend. It's not easy to improve on a Guinness World Record achievement, but Texas Motor Speedway is going to do just that when it installs its new state-of-the-art Big Hoss TV screen at the Fort Worth facility in time for the uh, Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive uh, playoff race this weekend. The new and improved Big Hoss TV is located above the Big Briggs Burnout Alley on the Speedway backstretch. It will be a digital LED vision ultra screen provided by Argyle, Texas-based Go Vision. It will be 10% larger at 22,696 square feet to 20,660 square feet. It'll have 22% more pixels, 8,236,800 total pixels to 6,405,120 total pixels. And it'll have 20% higher resolution from 16 millimeter to 20 millimeter. It will be 16% brighter, 7,000 NITs calibrated brightness to 6,000 NITs calibrated brightness. Now, the multi-million dollar Big Hoss TV upgrade, it continues Texas Motor Speedway's ongoing commitment to enhance the race fans' overall experience. Last year's No Limit Next projects included three open-air bars on the main concourse and in the Grand Strands, and increased leg room, drink rails, and the 3,000-foot wooden belly-up that extends from turn four to turn one. Big Hoss TV was on the 18th of 2014 and received certification from the Guinness World Records on April 6th of 2014 as part of the pre-race ceremonies for that afternoon's NASCAR Cup Series race. Its 20,660-square-foot screen was recognized as the world's largest HD LED video board. GoVision is a premier provider of large-scale LED video displays renowned for its unique ability to provide experience unrivaled in live sporting, music, and corporate events. Both through its rental of large-scale LED video displays and the fixed installations like Big Hoss. So (laughs) Big Hoss is getting even bigger. And that's actually kind of unbelievable, but they're making it happen. Yes, they are. Country music star Jelly Roll has been named Grand Marshal for Texas. The five-time CMA nominee, eight-time People's Choice Country Award nominee, and three-time CMT award-winning artist Jelly Roll, the breakthrough singer-songwriter who burst upon the country music scene with his massive hit, Save Me, as well as back-to-back number one singles, Son of a Sinner and Need a Favor, 
is going to serve as the Grand Marshal for that Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 400 NASCAR Cup Series playoff race this Sunday at Texas Motor Speedway. Originally from Antioch, Tennessee, Jelly Roll, his real name is Jason DeFord, uh, earned numerous milestones this year, including a 44-day sold-out back road baptism tour, multi-week, multi-platinum, and multi-genre number one singles, and the biggest country album debut in Billboard consumption chart history with the release of his album, Whitset Chapel, back in June, which debuted top three on the Billboard 200 chart. We also have some other uh, dignitaries for this weekend's race. The Grand Marshal mentioned will be the three-time CMT Music Award winner, Jelly Roll. But the honorary starter is going to be Texas Rangers Chief Jason Taylor, the official pace car driver, sports entertainment TV personality, Sage Steele. The national anthem will be by Fort Cavaros First Cavalry Band. God Bless America will be by the U.S. Marines veteran Don Graves. The invocation will be retired Lieutenant Colonel Carolyn Blaze Jensen. And the flyover, that'll be by the U.S. Air Force C-5M Super Galaxy, from the 433rd Airlift Wing from Lackland Air Force Base right there in San Antonio, Texas. On Saturday for the Xfinity Series race, the Grand Marshal there will be Andy Kuntz, uh, which is Andy's frozen custard, Chief Executive Officer Andy Kuntz and his wife Dana. The honorary starter will be Andy's custard's newest franchisee from Iowa, Brandon Pratt. National Anthem is going to be country music singer Alex Hall. And there, the flyover will be one CH-47 Chinook and two UH-60 Blackhawk helicopters from the 1st Air Cavalry Brigade in Fort Cavaros, Texas. Well, there's a driver to watch this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, and he's a Texas native. Hailing from Prosper, Texas, Chris Busher. Uh, is definitely going to give fans from Texas something to cheer about this season. 30-year-old has put up three wins at Richmond, Michigan, and Daytona, and this year is ranked fifth in the playoff standings heading to his home track of Texas Motor Speedway for the round of 12 opener. We know Chris Busher is from RFK Racing. Busher is having a career season, and he looks to be a real contender for, contender for the championship this year. In 29 starts, he's collected those three wins. He also has eight top fives, 14 top tens, and he's led 232 laps and has an average finish of 12.1 on the season. Busher's made 13 starts at Texas, posting an average finish of 23.3, but Busher's put Best finish at his home track was 15th back in 2018. But don't let that fool you. Chris Busher could come up with a win this weekend. I can honestly say I did not realize he was from Texas. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Now, wild cards. We talked about this uh, frequently, but the round of 12 offers a slew of tests for the playoff competitors. Tabbed by many of the competitors this season as a wild card round, the NASCAR Cup Series Round of 12 offers a bevy of challenges for the drivers and teams as they try to navigate through three races at vastly different racetracks. Texas Motor Speedway is the first one up in the 1.5-mile track, unlike any other on the schedule. 
located in Fort Worth, Texas, just outside Dallas, boasts 20 degrees of banking in turn one and two, and 24 in turns three and four. And this weekend's race will be broken up into the three stages Sharon talked about. I'm not going to go over those again, but it's probably considered the most tame of the three tracks this round. Texas is still unpredictable and has seen six different winners in the last six races. Denny Hamlin picked up a victory there in the spring of 2019, Kevin Harvick in the fall, Austin Dillon in the spring of 2020, Kyle Busch following that up in the fall, and then Kyle Larson with the one race in 2021, and Tyler Reddick last year. On Talladega Super Speedway, the next on the playoff schedule following Texas, that's a behemoth 2.66 miles super speedway, always one of the most unpredictable on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. That one has 33 degrees of banking in all four turns and produces some of the closest racing action in the series has to offer. When you look at that track, um, much like Texas, Talladega has produced seven different winners in the last seven cup races. Ryan Blaney picked up a win in 2019, Denny Hamlin in 2020, Brad Keselowski in 2021, as well as Bubba Wallace, and then Chase Elliott, or I'm sorry, Ross Chastain in the spring of 22, Chase Elliott in the fall of 2022, and so far this year, earlier this in April, it was Kyle Busch. Then we get to the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval that's scheduled for the NASCAR Cup Series playoff round of 12 elimination race in a couple weeks where we cut the postseason's 12 driver field down to eight. Though a road course, the Charlotte Roval is unpredictable with the NASCAR Cup Series just as much as Talladega. The 17 core span spanning the infield and parts of the oval at Charlotte Motor Speedway makes it a unique challenge for the playoff competitors. Since joining the NASCAR Cup Series schedule in 2018, the Roval has produced four different winners in its five races, Ryan Blaney winning in 2018, Chase Elliott did it back from 2019 and 20, but then Kyle Larson came along in 2021, and last year, and a wild one for sure, Christopher Bell. Okay, well, the playoff uh, is looking forward to another great this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, and they're setting the stage for the playoffs. It's actually hosted the NASCAR Cup Series 42 times, producing 20 different Bush-like pole winners in 20 years. The first Cup Series race at Texas was on April 6th of 97. The race was won by Jeff Burton in an RFK racing Ford. Uh, that was at 125.111 miles per hour. The first Cup Series playoff race at Texas was held on November 6th of 2005, and that race was also won by RFK driver Carl Edwards at 151.055 miles per hour. 2311 racing Tyler Reddick is the most recent points-paying race winner at Texas. He grabbed the checkered flag in last season's playoff race. A total of 25 different Cup Series drivers have won the pole at Texas Motor Speedway, and six of the 25 Cup Series uh, pole winners are active this weekend. Kurt Busch leads the Cup Series in poles at Texas with three, uh, dating back to 2015, 
uh, the playoffs of 2017 and the spring of 2018. Kevin Harvick in 2017 and 19, Brad Keselowski in 15 and 22, Martin Truex Jr. in 2007 and 12. They lead all active drivers in Cup Series polls at Texas Motor Speedway with two apiece. So uh, also Ryan Blaney, Austin Dillon, and up the track. Victory Lane is a hot Texas is a hot ticket at Texas with a total of 22 different Cup Series drivers having won at the 1.5 mile speedway. Seven of the 22 winners are active this weekend. Jimmy Johnson, of course, leads the Cup Series and wins at Texas with seven victories. Dating back to 2007, 12, 13, 14, 15 with a sweep, and 2017. And, 35, and that was in 35 starts. Kyle Busch leads all active drivers in wins at Texas with four victories in 2013, 16, 18, and 20. So Denny Hamlin has three victories there, Kevin Harvick three. And then these four drivers each have four win there, including Tyler Reddick, the most large Last season's uh, Cup Series playoff winner, Kyler Reddick, returns to Texas to defend that win and get his second postseason victory uh, of 2023. He also won at Kansas. Reddick has made four career starts at Texas, posting one win the two top fives and three top tens. He led 75 laps and has an average finish, 0.75 with track. If Reddick were to win this weekend, he would become the fourth different driver to win consecutive points-paying races at Texas. He would join Jimmy Johnson, who did it in the 2014 playoff race and the 2015 sweep. And then Carl Edwards also had a sweep in 2008, along with Denny Hamlin's sweep in 2010. Well, I got a spoiler alert for you. Okay. That's good. I'm ready for it. Postseason spoilers, the playoff drivers don't always win these playoff races. Three times has a non-playoff driver won the fourth race in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs coming in 2004, 2006, and 2022. Back in 2004, it was John Hunter Nemechek who won the fourth race in the Cup Series playoffs. No, it wasn't. It was was Joe Nemechek. I did it again. Yep. Thank you. Going back to 2004, (laughs) Joe Nemechek uh, won the fourth race in the NASCAR Cup Series playoff at Kansas Speedway, uh, ranked 21st in the point standings at the time of his victory. In 2006, it was Brian Vickers who won the fourth race, and it came at Talladega Super Speedway as he was ranked 16th in points at the time of victory, and then they only took 12 into the playoffs, I think. Last year, in 2022, Tyler Reddick won that fourth race. It was at Texas Motor Speedway. Reddick had qualified for the postseason, but had already been eliminated in the round of 16, so he was 13th at the uh, time of his victory. Now, four times a non-playoff driver has won the Cup Series playoffs race at Texas Motor Speedway in 06, 14, 15, and 22. In 2006, it was Tony Stewart. He was 11th in the point standings when he picked up his Texas playoff race win. In 2014, Jimmy Johnson was also 11th in points and 
Johnson had made the playoffs that year, but eliminated in the round of 12. 2015, almost the same story. He was 12th, Jimmy Johnson, 12th in the points. Again, he had made the playoffs, but had been eliminated in the round of 16. And last year, again, Tyler Reddick, 13th in points in the time of the victory. Made the playoffs, but had been eliminated. Now, the worst finish by a driver in the fourth NASCAR Cup Series playoff race uh, that later went on to win the series title that same season was a 24th place finish by Jimmy Johnson. That was at Talladega Super Speedway back in 2006. Worst finish by a driver in the NASCAR Cup Series at Texas Motor Speedway, Texas Motor Speedway playoff race that later went on to win the title in the same season that was a 38th place finish by Jimmy Johnson in 2009. Last, year, last season, Joey Logano finished runner-up in this fourth race of the playoffs at Texas Motor Speedway, and he went on to win the title later in the fall. Okay, title town. Drivers that go on to win the title after a victory in this weekend's race. It's happened three times. The winner of the fourth race in the Cup Series playoffs has gone on to win the title in the same year, 2009, 16, and 17. You just mentioned Jimmy Johnson in 2009 won the fourth race in the Cup Series playoffs at Auto Club Speedway and went on to win his fourth straight series title in the same season from 2006 to 9. The victory was his second of four wins during his postseason run that year. Also in 2016, Jimmy Johnson won the Charlotte Motor Speedway's Oval and was tying seventh NASCAR Cup Series title that same season. Uh, 2006 to 10, 2013 and 16. The win was Johnson's first of three that postseason. In 2017, it was Martin Truex Jr. who won at Charlotte Motor Speedway and went on to win the series title that same season. It was his first of three wins in that postseason one. Run. Three times the winner of the Cup Series uh, race at Texas, playoff race at Texas, has gone on to win the title later that same season. 2007, 11, and 13. In 2007, it was Jimmy Johnson who won from the eighth starting position and then went on to win his second consecutive Cup Series title later that same season, 2006 to 7. The playoff win at Texas was his third of four consecutive victories in the 2007 playoffs and the only driver to win four straight in the Cup Series playoffs. He won at Martinsville, Atlanta, Texas, and Phoenix. In 2011, Tony Stewart won from the fifth starting position at Texas and went on to win his third Cup Series championship later that season. Win was Stewart's fourth on his record-setting five Cup Series playoff wins in a single postseason run in 2011. That season, he won at Chicago, New Hampshire, Martinsville, Texas, and Homestead, Miami. Larson's five playoff wins last year actually tied Stewart's record. In 2013, Jimmy Johnson won from the third starting position at Texas Motor Speedway and went on to win his sixth Cup Series championship later that season. The playoff win at Texas was Johnson's second postseason victory. He also won at Dover as well as Texas in 2013. Well, of the four current postseason contenders, well, we're almost out of time, the, Jay. Yeah, I was just going to highlight this one, uh, and then there's one other I think that okay. I really want to highlight. But 
the four current postseason contenders that are former winners in the Texas playoff race. There's been a total of nine different drivers that have won, led by Jimmy Johnson with five, 07, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick is active with three Texas playoff wins in, from 17 to 19. And then Tyler Reddick in 2022, Kyle Larson in 2021, Kyle Busch in 2020, and Denny Hamlin in 2010 are your form, four former playoff race winners. Um, I'll let fans, they can look up the whole history there um, of other drivers that have won. Okay. All the NASCAR Cup Series playoff action begins this weekend with practice in bush light flying on Saturday, September the 23rd at 12.30 p.m., and it will be televised on the USA Network. We are at the top of the hour, and that means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Well, I guess we're just a few seconds ahead of that, about 30 seconds <laughs> ahead of that. Uh, but, Jay, um, is there anything else you wanted to highlight real quick in under no, uh, 30 I, seconds? <laughs> you tried to restrict me to 30 seconds of talking? Wow, that's, that's rough. Now, uh, looking forward to Texas. Uh, we talk about it different spots in the um, rounds of, for the playoffs. The Xfinity Series, they already got one locked in. The Cup Series just had their reset. So I like the balance. I mean, uh, same track, and they're in the playoffs, but it's a different setting for each of those two series, so a different way to watch each race. Absolutely. All right. Uh, it's now time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and joining us, the first one to join us for this topic is uh, – Andy Lasky, welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, looking forward to our hot topic discussion. We had to hold off on one of our topics uh, for Brian Everly to join us, so I was going to let him kind of kick us off with that because I know he has a lot to say about it. Uh, and that is uh, with regard to the uh, – fact that they announced this week that they would not be returning to Road America uh, this week, or this uh, next season, I mean. So I know Brian has a lot to say about that, but since he's not here yet, Andy, I'm going to let you start off with your thoughts about it. Yeah, it's it's disappointing to, to hear that. I felt like Road America always put on good racing um, they just did that repave, actually, for this year's race for the Xfinity Series. And I felt like they always had a good turnout as far as, you know, fan support goes. And it just seemed like it was really, you know, a good place to go for that um, Midwestern market for NASCAR. Um, and so the fact that it's completely gone from any of the National Series going there is, is highly disappointing. You know, I understand that there's talk about you know, the Chicago street course coming back next year and the potential for Chicagoland to come back down the road. And that's good. You know, I, I certainly Chicagoland, but uh, I felt like, you know, there's probably enough support to also have road America. So I hate to see it. You know, I, I always hate seeing good racetracks get removed um, from the schedule. And so it's, uh, it's, to me, it's just really disappointing. And, um, you know, maybe it'll make a return one day. We can only hope. And, um, but in the meantime, yeah, I hate to see that it's been taken off. Okay. Well, I kind of jumped the gun here 
because uh, Brian just sent us a message. He's battling a, a nasty migraine, so he's going to have to spend some time uh, resting for a bit. Uh, so he says he'll see us back next week. But we'll go ahead and continue with our conversation here. Uh, Jay, what, what are your thoughts? Well, first off, I hope that uh, Brian's feeling better. Again, we had this set aside for him, so obviously he was really wanting to talk about it. Um, we'll so have to give him another chance later. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um I know he kind of shares the topic, obviously kind of a home track for him, especially now. I know he gets to get out there uh, quite frequently. I'm trying to separate emotion from it, though. We talked about this with the Bristol Dirt Race, which I know a lot of fans weren't uh, necessarily a fan of. Um, did three years, ran its course. And even if it is a good thing, such as the Coliseum Race, that we know is coming back for at least one more year, if you have that high peak interest, you don't want to wait until it fades away to make a change. And that's where I think we're looking at with Road America. Andy pointed out, definitely uh, been packed and was at a high level when they were racing there, but he was sad to see it go away to introduce the Chicago street race. Okay. But if you can do that and then uh, give it a couple of years, come back just as Chicagoland Speedway, uh, if they are to get back on the schedule in the years to come to see the return there, would be just as exciting as maybe it was when it first opened. So I think that's what NASCAR is looking at of doing the rotation. We want to see new things and new venues. That means something has to go. If you bring something new in, something's got to go. You only got so much room. And I think that's what they're looking at is, and, and we've talked about this before of how that would work, doing a rotating schedule of certain tracks. Let Iowa Speedway maybe be on the, on the schedule for a year or two, then go somewhere else and come back to it. And I think that's what they're kind of doing here with uh, Road America is to test to see how that will work out in the rotation aspect of it. Absolutely. Um, I agree with you. Um, I, I, uh, it's very sad to see this track getting taken off the schedule because it's, it's really a wonderful facility. And I think we all agree with that. Uh, we think we all agree that been great racing that's taken place at road America, but you guys are right. Unfortunately, in order to make room for some of these other tracks on the schedule, uh, something has to give. And in this case, it's the, it's road America. Um, but the good news in all of that is that uh, NASCAR's done a pretty good job with shaking up the schedule, and, and they've brought some good venues, although some we've, we've questioned, including the Chicago Street Race. It turned out to be a really good event um, in spite of uh, the, all the rain and all the problems that they ran into. The event itself uh, turned out to be a fairly decent event. Uh, and I, too, hold out hope. I know Andy posted a couple of uh, indications that there might be some hope that Chicago Land Speedway will return at some point in time, and I hope that's true. <clears throat> but uh, uh, I think the same thing's going to be true for Road America. It's too good of a track to leave off the schedule for good. Uh, I think this is just a temporary situation, and that we'll be back at that track at some point in the future. Uh, at least that seems to be the direction that NASCAR is headed into. So, um, you know, I've got my fingers crossed. Andy, do you want to follow up? Yeah, I think for me, you know, this this does lend itself to the hope that maybe 
off-road America can return one day. And this may start a trend where we start to see tracks perhaps leave the schedule for a while and then come back, you know. So, and if that's the case, maybe that's a strategic move to help generate fan support because I think, you know, fans oftentimes take for granted having a racetrack near them on the schedule. And then when it goes away, all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, I should have supported that race. So perhaps when the race does come back, and I'm not saying Road America had a support issue. I think they were probably one of the more well-attended races on the on the Cup schedule. But, you know, it, it could be a, a trend where we see tracks come and go because I think, you know, if you lose a racetrack and then you get it back, you're more apt to see maybe more people come out to that, that particular event. So, you know, maybe that's what happens here, um, and maybe we'll start to see this be a trend, you know, as, as the years go on with other racetracks. But you're right, Sharon, I think that, NASCAR has been pretty bold in making schedule adjustments after really a 20-year period of the same thing year after year, and, and that I do applaud. I like seeing changes, and I like to see them try to tweak things to keep things interesting. So um, I don't think it's all doom and gloom by any means, and you know we just can uh, maybe hope that we'll see it back on the schedule at some point. Okay, Jay. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. Uh, here's here's my only thing with it, and uh, may not be the most popular person saying this, but if you're going to do that, I think you need to list all the tracks when considering this. And I know earlier we or earlier this year, I think it was maybe at the end of last year, talked about maybe Bristol Motor Speedway losing one of its dates to go to North Wilkesboro. Uh, from what we've been told, there will be two races on concrete next year at Bristol, so that hasn't happened. I just don't want to, and, and I say unpopular here because I say even Talladega or Daytona maybe need to lose one of their dates. I know Daytona is pretty secure. you got the Daytona 500 and that playoff race of the, uh, at Daytona leading into as a final cutoff race works really well. I get that, but if you're really going to be fair about it, and take away a date from Road America in order to change some things up. Again, maybe you got to take one away from Bristol. Maybe you take one away from Talladega or Charlotte. I know they're looking at maybe going back to the regular oval versus the road course, or yeah, regular oval versus the roval or the road course. That I think you've got to at least consider that and look at it. Um, we talked about this way uh, many years ago when North Wilkesboro went down, went from two races to one. That increases fan attendance because you know you only got one opportunity for the year. Well, if you only have the one opportunity every two to three years, that should have the same effect. And, and I think, I know logistic-wise, it, it's kind of a, a rough thing to do, but if it's a three, you know, you're a race for three years, then we're going to give it to somebody else. So hopefully NASCAR is looking at that as far as long-term making, I know they got five-year deals with track. Maybe you have to cut that down to three and do that on a rotation basis. Um, again, it keeps uh, different markets involved and, and whatever. So uh, I, I applaud them. Uh, as Andy said, they're definitely willing to make some changes. I just hope they don't uh, lock certain ones in because they're one of the two companies that hold the, uh, most of the tracks. Yeah, yeah. I was going to get into that, but you mentioned it, and I think that's all that needs to be said. <laughs> um, I'm, I uh, am looking forward to the schedule coming out and seeing what the, the changes are for this season uh, coming up, the 2024 season. 
Um, I know that uh, they said that we will be back to street racing in Chicago next year, but um, uh, they are not saying anything yet about the 2025 season. So we'll see what happens on that regard as well. That's the only other thing I wanted to mention. So we'll go ahead and move on to the next topic. Andy, what you got? Well, to continue on the topic of schedule-related stuff, it looks like the 2024 schedule has still not been released. And um, let me try to find what uh, Bob Pocker said just as a quote real quick here. Um, I'm just pulling the subject up. So Bob Pocker says, um, it's probably help if I get the hot topics. Here we go. I can't find it either. <laughs> and, oh, here I it is. scroll down a little bit. Uh, it's basically Bob Parker's on X said it's still the same answer as a couple of days ago. Would expect schedules in the next couple of weeks, but I have been saying that the last six months. So take it for what it's worth. The Dale Jr. download yesterday indicated that the Montreal deal is up in the air, and that's been NASCAR's focus to replace Fontana. So Scott, thoughts on that, and also thoughts on uh, the fact that we do not yet have a 2024 schedule. Okay. Well, as much as we anticipate things, uh, part of it is you want to see it as as a good finished product. So until they've got it finalized, I'm okay with it. I know uh, I'm not one that makes big plans or whatever that far ahead, so it doesn't affect me. Um, some fans, yeah, maybe looking to that already, setting up vacation times or whatever, however they're going to set their, their season based off or their vacations based off of it. You obviously want to see it come out as soon as possible to, uh, for preparation purposes, but you also want it to be uh, a good final package. So uh, we kind of knew that um, Fontana there was going to be off the schedule, and that's what they're looking at as far as a replacement or whatever for it. Uh, I know they want to look at the markets and what's available as well as then maybe some new ones. Uh, just throwing it out there again, it's been a rumor of Canadian Tire Motorsports uh, up in Canada, what it takes to get that finalized and official, um, if that's the direction they're going. But, yeah, it's getting kind of late in the season and not having that schedule out yet. I get it. But as I said, I would much rather see it come out with a definite and all their T's crossed and I's dotted to make it happen rather than, We've seen little bits here and there. We're starting to get the, the one piece here and there. Um, I'm okay with that, uh, personally, because um, I know that NASCAR is working really hard on it. And, again, they're, they're trying to mix things up and give fans what they want, so give them a little bit time to do so. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I like having the schedule come out in September. I love it when it's early September. Uh, so when it gets to be this time of September and it's not here yet, people start getting a little anxious about it. Um, but and, and it is for planning purposes, and it's not just for fans. Uh, the drivers, uh, the teams, everybody's putting together their plans uh, for next season, and the, as much advance notice as they can get. Uh, the better it is, but um, uh, I'm not too too upset about it. I, I agree with you, Jay. I, or I would rather see them get it uh, completely done than to come out and say that they've got one date TBD. 
Um, so if Montreal is the deal that's up in the air right now, that's okay. I'll wait until they get everything uh, taken care of with that, and then we'll look forward to having that back on the schedule. Uh, and and i got to wonder if that isn't tied to the Road America uh, deal. Uh, the fact that they don't have Road America on the schedule, is does that mean that maybe they're going to put Montreal uh, on the schedule instead? Um, so, and I and – We've we've kind of talked about all of that. I know that uh, people are worried about getting too many road courses on the on the schedule, so it would make sense to me if if they drop one in order to pick up another one, so that they're not adding uh, another road course to the schedule and taking off uh, maybe one of the races that we don't want to see taken off the schedule. So um, we'll have to wait and see uh, how this plays out. But uh, I hope Bob's right. I hope it is the next couple of weeks <laughs> that we get that schedule. Andy? Yeah, I think the delay to me just means that there's probably going to be some tweaks for 2024 versus what we know from this year. And, and of course, a lot of racetracks have already come out and said that they do have 2024 dates. So I'm not sure that we're going to have anything, you know, eye-opening or, or huge as far as changes go for next year. But you know, you, you hear some rumors about Montreal coming onto the schedule, um, Texas possibly being moved back to the spring, Watkins Glen becoming a road course playoff race, Charlotte having two oval races. So there's some little tidbits of rumor out there. And, of course, none of that is, is confirmed until it's true and the schedule comes out. But, you know, it sounds like there may be some interesting changes to, you know, try to tweak and maybe improve the schedule a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I would agree, obviously, it's NASCAR's directive when they want to release the schedule. And if it's not done, it's not done. There's no sense in releasing bits and pieces of it, you know, and which we kind of already know anyway from tracks announcing dates, like I said, for next year. But, you know, obviously it's their directive when it comes out. We'll know probably soon enough, I would think, this fall, certainly before the end of this season. You know, and I look forward to seeing what the changes are. You know, hopefully they're positive changes, and I'm sure they are, and, uh, you know, some minor tweaks for next year. So, Looking forward to it, and, um, you know, hopefully um, whatever changes are made will be uh, something fun for next year. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, and and I think here when we talked about North Wilkesboro, when we heard of that track coming back, even if it was for a special event such as the All-Stars they did, there's more to it than just saying you're going to race there and picking a date, you know, taking North Wilkesboro, for example getting the facilities ready, if it requires safer bears or whatever to be sanctioned by NASCAR, that kind of level, your traffic flow, all kinds of things that just go into it for one one race. Sponsorship, I mean, that's a big thing when it comes to that. So there's all kinds of little things that go into just picking one date and location for a race, and NASCAR is trying to do it for 36. Obviously, some of them are kind of fill in the blank. Hey, Daytona, got it. Talladega, got it. Okay, but as we're changing these up, it's not just about, hey, can we go there? Are they ready to take it? Is the city ready for it? All these things that got to come into play. And as I have full faith, NASCAR is doing everything they can, um, as with anything, planning or otherwise, you hit a glitch, you get a hold up. Um, you know, and even if you have a plan in place, I know with North, North Wilkesboro, some of the things they were working on, they had to push up the windows as far as how much time they were going to spend on it talking about Fontana and Auto Club, the changes they're making, I believe, initially 
project was supposed to be ready to go here in 2024. Didn't happen that way. So you've got to be able to adjust to that. Um, and I think they're doing a good job with it. And like I said, if they got to hold off to make sure everything's squared away, I get it. We'll have to wait a little longer. Okay. Andy, I think you bring up a really good point. There's a lot that we already do know uh, with the tracks putting out information about uh, the fact that they've got a date on the schedule. Um, uh, we've been told that Road America is not going to be coming back. There are enough leaks out there that we've got a fairly good idea. Uh, somebody, I don't know, was it Andy or Jay that mentioned we might see Watkins Glen on the playoff schedule next season. So we already know that there's some different changes uh, that are in the wind, if you will. And uh, it's just a matter now of waiting until that official schedule does come out. Uh, Again, I don't think it's any reason for alarm at this point. I just think that um, we need to be patient and wait for NASCAR to tie up all their ends. And I'm sure once they do that, they're probably just as anxious as we are uh, to to have that schedule out to everyone. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, the tracks have to make their arrangements, the teams, the drivers, Uh, So many people are waiting in the wings uh, to make their plans for the 2024 season. So uh, I think NASCAR understands that, and they will get that out to us as quickly as they possibly can. And I trust uh, that if it's not out yet, there's a good reason for it. So one other thing I did want to just mention and touch on, though, is Fontana. We know that Fontana is undergoing uh, some changes uh, that they, they're changing that two mile track, uh, to what we think is going to be a short mile, short track. Um, and I've got to wonder if one of the reasons that they might be, uh, they haven't started that yet. I think they've taken out the old track, but they haven't really replaced it yet with the new track. And I'm wondering if, if part of the reason for that is because, uh, of the troubles that we've had with short track racing of late with the, the next gen car. Um, it, it might not be the case, but the thought just crossed my mind uh, that they might be waiting and, and maybe considering uh, maybe not a short track at Fontana um, when they do do their redo uh, of that uh, facility. So we'll have to wait and see. I know there's always a good reason if NASCAR doesn't have it out yet. Andy, your final thoughts here? Uh, yeah, just really looking forward to, to seeing what the 2024 schedule is going to be. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy to hear about some of the changes. Obviously, um, Bristol going back to concrete for both races, I think, is a positive change for next year. And, you know, if some of the other rumors are held true, I think they'll all be positive changes. Um, you know, it's impossible to make everybody happy. I'm sure if there's any reductions in racetracks for next year that, you know, obviously that'll be disappointing for those fans, but I think overall NASCAR, they, they, they do a good job in, in trying to listen to the fans, you know, and make changes accordingly. I think that, you know, that was proven with the implementation of all these road courses over the last few years. Okay. Uh, Jay, what do you have for our next hot topic? Well, we kind of talked about this uh, just a little bit in the Truck Series preview show. Um, we knew that Matt DiBenedetto was not going to return to uh, war, uh, Rackley War Racing next season. They then failed to advance in the playoffs, and now for the final three races, 
they have decided to separate now um, versus later. So we'll have a new driver in the War Rackley machine for at least the three races this year. Don't know their plans for next year. Matt DiBenedetto also has not announced anything for next year. Okay. Uh, Andy, your thoughts about uh, the driver change at uh, Rackley War? Did we lose Andy? Andy, can you hear us? Andy, come home. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, can you hear me? I wasn't sure if it was me or... Okay, so we don't know what happened to Andy, if he has his mute button on or what happened there. He shows that he's still in the queue. So... I'm not sure. Jay, I guess I'll go ahead and say something. Um, Yeah, uh, I got to wonder what's going on there. It does seem like there's more to the story uh, that's uh, not available to all of us. And and you got to wonder why that's happening, uh, that they would take him out of. um... Okay, he says he hit mute, and now he hears absolutely nothing. I'm going to tell him to call back in. Okay, he's going to try to call back in. So um, at any rate, I don't know what's going on with Andy's uh, thing here, but uh, he's going to try to call back in, and hopefully he'll make it in before we end the show. Anyway, it just feels like there's more to the story uh, than we thought with uh this situation and uh we're we'll look forward to uh hearing more about that um but this seems to be kind of a trend that happens with matt benedetto it seems like he he leaves the organization and i think maybe the organization gets upset that he makes the announcement almost independent of the organization and so they decide to uh, uh, make it – they decide to, to change you know, and, and let him leave early. So I don't know what's going on, but Andy, I, are you back now? Yeah, sorry. I, I finished my last uh, follow-up there. I hit mute, and then it went dead for some reason. So, yeah, all good now, it seems like. Okay, well, help me out here. We're talking about uh, Matt DiBenedetto at Rackley War. I was just saying I think that it almost seems like there's a trend when it comes to Matt DiBenedetto and when he's changing organizations. It's either the organization making the decision or sometimes he independently makes it. Yeah, this is a, this is a perplexing situation. I I thought that the first part of this, when he announced that he would would separate from the team before the end of the year um, and without any 2024 plan set, was very eye-opening. I, you know, kind of question that to some degree. I don't know why you would voluntarily quit a team that has invested in you when you don't know what you're doing for the following year. Now, I understand that he's trying to better his um, – you know, trying to better his career and get back probably to a competitive cup or Xfinity car at some point. But it just, to me, was, and this is probably kind of harsh, but to me I got the vibe that he was giving up on his team 
and abandoning them, um, you know, without them really even knowing it. It seemed like it was kind of like they got blindsided almost. And now, you know, mm-hmm. and this is in the thick of a this is in the thick of a playoff run too. You know, you want to talk about distractions to the team. Um, yeah. Certainly, a, a, a driver announcing that they're going to leave the organization, you know, on the verge of a playoff run, to me is poor timing. You know, and then, you know, and so it was kind of just almost comical, I guess, that, you know, Matt kind of, I think it was after he got eliminated where he got emotional about it. And it's like, well, you made this decision to leave. It's not like this was, you know, it's not like you got let go, but then ultimately he does get eliminated from the playoffs and he does get seemingly let go by his team. And quite frankly, I don't blame the team if a driver's going to give up on you and leave, then, you know, they have the right to, to make a change and move forward, you know, to better their own interests the rest of this year and next year. Um, I used to have sympathy for De Benedetto, but I feel like he puts himself in these positions, this isn't the first time, and then plays the victim, yeah. you know, and eventually, eventually, you know, he's just not going to be hireable anywhere. So I, I've, oftentimes liked the guy and I felt like he was a, especially when he drove the 21 car, he was a good underdog to pull for. And, you know, I felt like, you know, he was somebody that, that deserved a full-time cup opportunity, but, you know, at this point it's becoming a bit of a charade and I'm I'm kind of tired of it. So I hate to say I don't have a lot of sympathy, but, you know, I kind of don't because I feel like in this particular instance, the driver put himself in this position. Andy, you kind of read my mind on that whole thing because I was kind of feeling the same way. It's not the first he's done that, where he's left the organization um, and made the announcement himself versus working with the organization. Um, And and you're right, I can't blame Rackley War either. and he's supposed to be fighting for the best position he can get. And he announces that he's leaving the team. <clears throat> he did a lot for Rackley War, and I don't want to take anything away from that. It's the first time they won a race. It's the first time they've been in the playoffs for the truck series. With Matt Benedetto. it seemed like the perfect matchup. And um, then he kind of walks away from it uh, with no plans. Uh, and, and kind of indicating that he's looking for something. And I think a team at this point would be nuts <laughs> to think about bringing him in because he could do the exact same thing to them. Why would you bring a driver in and then they do something like that? Um, I, 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 too, am growing a little bit older, the sympathy. Uh, you know, he's been an underdog that – what it's like and kind of and geared uh, on uh, for a long time now, and he got a second chance in the truck series, uh, and he, I thought he was doing really well. I I kind of thought maybe he'd come back and contend for a championship next year, um, but that's not going to happen because he's not going to be with Rackley War, at least not with Rackley War. And like I say, I think it's going to be tough for Matt Benedetto to get another ride uh, because I think teams uh, look at something like that and, and have to question why he would do something like that at the point that he did. Um, and it does seem to be that it was independent 
of uh, working with the organization on making a transition. Uh, so in order to get respect, you got to give respect. And to me, that was a little bit disrespectful. And, and as you said, and as I was saying before that, uh, it's not the first time that Matt's done that. So, yeah, it's it's starting to grow a little bit old. Jay? Well, I, I think you both kind of hinted at it here, though. I think there's a lot we really don't know. I mean, anytime you see um, a team or a driver, something like this, a partnership get announced, they say they've mutually decided to part ways, you know there may be some hurt feelings behind the scenes. This one may be a little bit more so because, uh, as you have said, it appears that Matt DiBenedetto made the decision. Um, but comparing it to his past situations, I think is a little bit different. And I'm, I'm trying to remember, and I turned 48 a couple of days ago, so my memory, it's getting older, but I think it was Levine oh. Family Racing. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember who he was working with, uh, driving for. He said, hey, I want to get in a top uh, – better ride, uh, contend for races, got to take that chance on himself, made the announcement, got hooked up with the Wood Brothers. That one, I feel like the carpet was yanked out from underneath him when he ended up leaving the Wood Brothers. Um, so I don't think you can compare that one. This one here, too, I, it just seems to me there's a lot of things that we don't know. Um, I see it from you guys' standpoint of Matt DiBenedetto making that decision and opting to leave does seem a little odd being that they've gone for in the, this would be in their third year. I believe they've gone to be in a playoff um, involved in the playoffs. I won't say a contender, uh, but being involved in the playoffs, obviously it got eliminated in the first round. Um, now with that decision for whatever and why it was made, you're right. It puts Rackley war in a position. They got to do what's best for the company now. And that is to maybe bring somebody in either, give them a tryout, or if they know who they're going to run next year, get them in there and get them settled and get a head start on next season. So, yeah, I get it making that making that decision once the team and Matt DiBenedetto driver were, was eliminated from the playoffs. Um, but And I'll come back around on the second time of where Matt, Matt DiBenedetto might be coming from. Okay, Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, I mean um... – it's just it's just kind of an odd scenario, and we're probably not going to know the full details, you know, behind the scenes of it, whether it's from the team or the driver's standpoint. Um, but, yeah, you know, I wish Matt the best. Certainly hope that he can land on his feet somewhere, but it's just just an, a really strange scenario is why he's, you know, not going to be with the team the remainder of this year and next year. So I, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like he's got absolutely nothing planned for next year. And I, I don't know. I, I don't really see an opportunity opening up unless he can find sponsorship to bring somewhere. As we all know, that I think is what oftentimes can dictate getting a ride or not, whether you have funding, you know, and that's just the business side of it. But I, I don't know if Matt really brings any funding. I think that's part of the reason why he wound up where he did in the truck series, you know, and it was a team that rallied around and supported him. You know, and it, it just, and from my standpoint, kind of felt like he gave up on that. So, I don't know. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see where he winds up, if he winds up anywhere. But just uh, just an odd end to what I thought seemed like a pretty good relationship the last year and a half. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add here. Um, 
I think you guys are, uh, have hit all really good points. Jay, I'll let you have the final word. Well, what I got to add is, is speculation and just a, a perspective of possibility. Again, Matt's statement has been that he does not have anything set. Um, and I was trying to look back, even when the announcement came, that he first um, said he was going to look elsewhere and it made the same statement, taking that chance on himself. I would think that he would have to have some type of feelers out. There are some Xfinity Series rides. Uh, I know there's some discussion as far as Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, Junior Motorsports has not announced anybody for the number eight. Within the Truck Series, we know that Zane Smith is moving up to the Cup Series, which leaves Front Row Motorsports without a driver. Um, There's rumor with Nice Motorsports if Carson Hosevar doesn't return to the Truck Series. So there are some other opportunities out there. Um, and Kyle Busch Motorsports was another one. I thought this one was kind of intriguing, although then it would be a part-time of the number 51 for Kyle Busch Motorsports, having a veteran driver like Matt DiBenedetto. Again, we've seen what they can do. You come in in these races and at least part-time live up to the expectations in that, in that truck what then that gets looked at of maybe even down the road for 2025, not just 2024. So there are some reasons that Matt DiMenedetto may have made the choice he did and what he's looking at. And like I said, I get the feeling at least has some type of feelers out there, had some discussions with some other teams of possibilities versus uh, complete closed doors. And he's just going to keep knocking on them. Um, but I don't know that. So again, um, I do hope the best for him. Uh, he is one of those of most popular underrated drivers that don't get the attention. But now, like you guys have pointed out, maybe it's of, of his own doing and some of the bridges he's maybe burned or at least uh, put gas on, maybe not lit the fire, but put gas on a bridge and the possibility of him lighting it has caused some uh, issues. Okay. Andy, uh, you're up for the next hot topic. I'm going to look down through here um, to see. It looks like, um, did you guys talk about, just looking to see what was covered and what wasn't, did you guys talk about Jane Smith, the track house on the last show? On the last show we did, but if you want to give your comments about that, that would be great. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, obviously just a really big opportunity for him. Um, kind of didn't expect it, to be honest with you, given that he is, been recently aligned with Ford, but I think that it's a, a good move for a driver that I think we all expected to get a cup opportunity at some point. Um, obviously, this year has been a little off on the truck side of things, but certainly that didn't obviously affect any decisions by Trackhouse to sign him. I think that, um, you know, he has shown promise in the past where I think that he can be successful in the cup series at some point. So uh, I'm curious to see what he does, but I think that, you know, track house is trying to position themselves for the long term um you know so good situation all around but um let me see what else is here that hasn't been covered i guess mike had posted about um a ratings drop i guess at bristol this weekend um curious i guess what you think about that one it says specifically that the cup series race at bristol earned uh 1.5 million average viewers on the USA network, which was down apparently 12% from last year, which was 1.7 million uh, viewers, which is also on the USA network. 
Okay, Jay, I guess we did talk about the Zane Smith deal in conjunction with the $40 million for the charter. Um, so I guess I didn't note it that we had actually talked about that. Was there anything more that you wanted to say about that before moving on to the ratings thing? From the aspect of the charter, I'll just repeat what I said the other night, and I think everybody was in agreement uh, on that, that money is ridiculous. But um, talking about Zane Smith, the opportunity, obviously a great opportunity. Um, wish the best for him. I know we kind of talked about this, uh, at least on a side group chat, uh, Mike being one of them, and I'm sure he's had discussion with Andy's. Zane Smith maybe not be the one that we see as most cup ready, uh, again, limited starts, but more consistent winning races, winning championships. I know he does have um, the Truck Series championship in contention, but seems to be a real hot or cold driver. Um, as he's progressed, just doesn't seem to be one of those always at the top, um, can bounce back and forth to having the up and down throughout one season through seasons back to back. But Trackhouse obviously sees something in him. And again, just the oddity of the way that deal came about. It's track He signed with Trackhouse, but under Spire Motorsports. Again, we don't know what's being built towards there as far as an alliance, or if Trackhouse is just waiting until they can bring them under their own umbrella, as we've seen in the past. They don't have the capability now. So you sign them as a driver, lease them out to another team, and say, hey, when we're ready, we're bringing them back. We've seen that with a couple different drivers. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. As far as the Bristol ratings, um, and Mike, I know he, he specifically tagged me in that when he posted it. I don't put a lot of stock in these polls. I understand that NASCAR obviously is going to look at it when you talk about attendance ratings, especially with the TV package deal. They got to look at that because that's what kind of lends it to to a certain thing. But I also see it as kind of looking at a weather app. You can look at five different apps. It shows five different things, and what happens might be a, a six. The ratings uh, poll and whatever comes out is an indication. I get it. Why? I don't know. I don't understand, uh, again, when fans vote that they didn't find it as a good race. I think this one showed it at down to like 61%. I certainly wouldn't put it as 100% of favorite on my top list of all time, but I don't see it as being that low. I just don't understand what it is fans are looking for then, I guess. So I've never understood that, and I get frustrated, and that's where Mike likes to uh, poke the bear, if you will, because I just don't understand it, I guess. I really don't. Yeah, well, Mike did post something on the uh, team's page, and he says these are his comments. I wonder if they have data for viewership broken down by time, how many people initially turned in, got jerked around by the on-again, off-again weather delays, how many people stuck it out through the stuck it out through that only to turn it off during stage one because it looked like it was shaping up to be another um, short track race. The action picked up in the back half of the race, but how much damage had already been done. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, I I don't take a lot of stock in these, I guess. I, I understand why they do it. I know that they want to see what the trends are. Uh, and and that's really, I think, the only value to any of this is is what the trends are. But I think there was that, that's a legitimate question uh, that Mike brings up. 
what is it that they look at? Are they looking at how many people tuned in for the green flag? Is it the same number as people as were watching when the checkered flag waved? I don't know. Um, and that's why it's hard for me to take a lot of credence into some of this information. Um, I, I, um, I do think uh, that it's important for NASCAR to look for the trends and to watch this stuff. But for me as a fan, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm going to watch the race either way. Uh, and it, it, whether 12 million other people watched it with me doesn't matter to me. Um, so I, I just don't take a lot of stock in that information. Andy? Yeah, I think, you know, we can do our part and watch the race, right? And that helps, you know, the mm-hmm. ratings get boosted. But beyond that, it really doesn't have much impact on us. And you have to look at the extenuating circumstances, too. You know, was there another major sporting event or other things to watch on Saturday night? I don't really know, to be honest with you, because I watch the cup race and that's it. But, you know, oftentimes when there's competition with other things on TV, that can play a role into it. Certainly, I think the – the, yeah. the slow start to the race with the, the rain and the red flags probably, you know, plays a role in it too because, you know, fans that maybe aren't as invested as we are, you know, may start the race and then lose interest quickly if it's under a red flag and they'll switch to, to watching something else. So, you know, when you factor that stuff in there, it's probably not that big of a drop, truthfully. So, but like you said, you know, TV ratings, I kind of don't care to be honest with you because, as long as I can watch it, I'll watch it, and, and that's the end of it. So, I don't know. Um, obviously, I guess ratings are a good thing from NASCAR's point of view, so you don't necessarily like to see it drop. But, you know, as far as, you know, the effect it has on us, the fans, I, I don't know that it really has a huge impact. And, Jay, your follow-up? Well, from, from one aspect, it does have an impact us, on us as fans because, again, if they're not drawing ratings uh, – coming up on the television broadcast rights, that does have an impact because that's one of the things they look at. And I understand how they crunch numbers and, and data. Um, I, I partially understand it, put it that way. Um, so, yeah, it is it, from that aspect. And, and there's so many different things. You talked about the red flag, the delay. Andy kind of hit on it, and I was trying in my head trying to think of any big college football games that may have been going on Saturday night. I am not a college football person, but – I know it has started back. You talk about it um, as far as refreshing. It's the beginning of the football season when it comes to college football. And I know we battle this at our local tracks once you start going up against that uh, high school football and college football games. So that might have been a factor um, when it comes to that. Um, The red flag, I I would say, probably definitely doesn't help. Uh, You know, you want to get them hooked and keep their attention. A red flag obviously breaks that up. You switch channels or whatever and forget to come back or get invested in something else, um, as you mentioned. So, so many different variables. Uh, Yeah, you want to use it as a tool and and be aware of it and watch the trends. But I don't think you need to, uh, again, hit that panic button or knee-jerk reaction um, because there are so many different variables that could have caused it. Uh, Again, I thought it was a decent race. uh, again, I, I can't necessarily put a percentage to it, but as me and Mike go back and forth, I'm always on the high end. He's always on the low end, so average it out. We're about in the middle <laughs> of, again, not a great standout race, would not list it as race of the year by any means, 
but I also wasn't one I th- I'd say is a snoozer where I took a nap. Yeah, I, you guys hit on all the really good points the end of the baseball season, and I know uh, Cub fans have been really big on watching what's going on with the Cubs this year, uh, especially with the rivalry between the Cubs and the Cardinals fans. I've, I've heard a few Cardinal fans say that they're rooting for the Cubs. Um, but, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's just one of those things that I think NASCAR needs to do and I think it's important to them, um, uh, and it helps us understand to a degree why they make some of the decisions that they make, I guess. But in the end, I'm going to be watching, no matter how many other people are watching, I'm going to be watching NASCAR. Uh, so uh, when it comes to baseball I'm and football, I'm hockey. I'm a very fair weather fan when it comes to those things. I check the scores. I don't I very rarely watch a Cubs game or a Bears game or a hockey game. I'm but I do check the scores because I, I want those guys to do well. So um it, it's just NASCAR is my sport and I'm gonna watch it and uh it doesn't matter to me how many other people are watching it or didn't watch it. Um, but I got to think NASCAR knows the variables that impact those ratings and they're keeping track of all of that. And I, tr- I trust their, their judgment in keeping track of all of that information. Andy. Uh, yeah. I don't really have any follow-up honestly for this one. Okay. Jay, what do you got for our final, our hot topic here? Probably. Well, it'll have to be a quick one. What's that? Go ahead, Andy. Oh, no, I thought she was throwing it to me, but I don't have anything. So I guess, Jay, if you got something, uh, we can go with that. I, I do, and it was one I was actually trying to avoid. I know Mike was baiting me the other, the other night um, to do it as a follow-up to one of his, but we've heard the name Carson Hosvar, and we talked about him making three more starts here this year for – or maybe two, Texas and Talladega, okay, two starts, um, that we've heard his name and kind of a popular opinion, he may be the most cup-ready when it looks at his when we look at his performance, but we haven't heard anything official. And, and I really hate to do this, but I'm going to go ahead. I, I'm going to put in here what I put on listening to Dave Moody at SiriusXM Speedway. Had a caller ask about something when it came to the track house and Zane Smith deal, and Dave Moody listed Spire Motorsports drivers for next year as Corey LaJoy, now Zane Smith, along with Carson Hosevar. And the caller asked, he said, oh, I didn't know that was official. I hadn't heard anything official about it. And Dave Moody came back and talked about Zane Smith a little more and then moved to the next caller and never addressed it. So we've heard that rumor pretty heavy for a while, but I don't know if he accidentally, as I put it, let the cat out of the bag that it is a done deal and just hasn't been announced or if it's still just heavy rumor. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, I think that um, Hostovar has done enough on his cup performances alone this year to probably warrant a cup ride for next year. Um and it seems like it's kind of one of the worst kept rumors or secrets, if you will, uh, right now. 
Um, but it it's pretty much been talked about that he'll be in the 77 car full-time next year for Spire. Um, and so with Dave Moody saying what he said the other day, it, it kind of falls in line with what's been rumored already. And, you know, I think that he's done a really, really good job so far in his cup starts. I think he ran really well when he jumped in the seven car for his debut at Gateway only to have a brake rotor problem. But he was up in, I think, in and around the top 15 that particular race. And then um, he's taken the 42 car from running 30th pretty much every week to a, a car that can contend up in the top 15. We haven't seen that with any other driver this year. So that, to me, talks about how talented Josevar is. And, you know, he's, he's one of these guys that we, we don't see all too often that can jump in a cup car and immediately be competitive. We don't always see that. So to me, those performances alone have warranted um, the ability for him to get a cup ride next year. And I think that, you know, him going to Spire would be a good fit and, and really, I think, probably help the performance of the 77 car, which has for a while now been off the performance of the seven car of, of Corey and the Joy. So, um, I hope he gets the opportunity. I think that he's really matured a lot this year as a driver, and I think his, his talent is shown through, and I think that it would be a, a good opportunity for him if, if this comes to fruition. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that this is pretty much uh, well-known throughout the garage, even though it is has not been made officially announced. Um, I, I uh, think that everybody is pretty much tabbed uh, Carson Hosevar in the number 77 at Spire for next season. Uh, and it's so well known that it doesn't surprise me that Godfather Moody would say it uh, outright uh, on his radio show. Um, and, and uh, you know, when the caller kind of called him out on it, uh, he kind of neglected to go any further with it because it's not official. But um, I, I think it's a good if it does end up becoming official, which we're all anticipating, I, I think it's a good move. I, I, Trackhouse obviously is going to support uh, the car for Zane Smith because they're looking to bring him into their fold. It sounds to me like Spire is becoming an affiliate organization for Trackhouse Racing and kind of a ladder system, if you will, for those drivers to move up at some point. So <clears throat> I think it's going to be a good thing. I, I like uh, like I said before, I like everything that Trackhouse has done up to this point. And um, I, I do think that Josefar is a great driver. If he's part of that, uh, I don't know that they've signed him for a long-term agreement like they have with um, Zane Smith. But <clears throat> maybe that's an announcement that's forthcoming as well. Um, and if it is the case, I think that they're really lining up a, a, a good uh, list of drivers to kind of uh, succeed um, within that organization should they decide that they want to go to a three- or a four-car team. So um, I think it's all good. Jay? Yeah, and this goes back <clears> – <throat> excuse me um, – much dirt track in a uh, race in this weekend, I guess. Um, this is one of those I was watching already, as I said, with the Xfinity series. And I know Andy and I have been involved in these conversations with Andy, but Mike more specifically, when you talk about an organization like Spire Motorsports, they are not just a 
collect a paycheck, backmarker team. They are trying to build something very solid um, and moving forward. And I think this is another step in looking at being able to get a driver like Carson Hosevar, who has shown the talent. And there again, of has he been winning championships? He's skipping over the Xfinity series aside from a few starts. We've seen that. There are those few drivers that can just make that jump from trucks or not running a top five top or winning every week, but be able to come into the, into the cup series. And I know he gets frustrated when I go back to Jimmy Johnson and even Jeff Gordon to a certain degree, they weren't lighting the world on fire in these other series, but you could see the talent. And I think we're seeing that with Hosovar, especially on the maturity side. And I've said that throughout the truck series. I think we've seen him make some great moves um, this season in, Hey, if I'm second or third or fourth, and I got to really push to try and get the win back off, take the fourth or fifth and not create a situation where you got enemies on the track, possible suspensions or sanctions from NASCAR for making a bad move or an ag- too aggressive move. So I think they see all these pieces when it comes to that. And, and Andy mentioned it. I know Mike likes to put it on there cause it was Noah Gregson's ride, but what he's done with that 42 legacy motorsports, getting their best finishes on the season which Sharon and I talked about this a little bit earlier, why uh, you announce as an organization you're going to leave one manufacturer move to another and all of a sudden start running better for that manufacturer. Uh, not sure how all that comes into play, but they as an organization have well, and Carson Hosevar has been a part of that. So I do look forward to his Cup Series uh, future, whenever it be or wherever it be. I will honestly say he is one I kind of thought maybe would be in the junior motorsports uh, number eight in the, in the Xfinity series, but if he has this opportunity at the cup level, I'm all for it. Okay. We'll let that be the final word on that topic as we go into our round table and uh, sign off for the show today. Uh, so thanks guys. Andy, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, CB14 fan on Twitter, and as always, uh, good to be on and talk racing with you. And um, looking forward to uh, Texas racing this weekend. Should be fun. Okay, Jay. Well, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. If you're in the Columbus area, I talked about Magnolia Motor Speedway hosting the Cotton Picking 100 um, at the home of the Black Ice. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be home. I've been home for a whole, well, let's see, less than 12 hours. Going to get some rest tonight and head back up to Tennessee for some more motocross and uh, fair activities. So this time of year I get to do that and I always enjoy it. So that's why you can tell today I'm a little hoarse and mine's been a little skippy as it's uh, trying to regenerate and <laughs> recoup. But go back at it again this weekend. So I'll be listening to a lot of Serious XM Radio. So thankful for them. <laughs> okay. I am Banfor Racing Site on Twitter and Banfor Racing Blog and Radio on Facebook, as well as our website, BanforRacing.com. And um, uh, I want to say thank you to Jay and to Andy for being here today. We really appreciate you guys and all that you contribute uh, to our Banfor Racing crew. And uh, also to our listeners for tuning in. We always appreciate uh, whether you listen to our live broadcast on Mondays or our podcast on Sundays. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to hear what we have to say and hope that you enjoy.
um, uh, I get, uh, I think it's going to be exciting because of the playoff races that are in play here with both the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series. And um, I can't wait uh, to see how it all plays out and talk about it again on Monday. So uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. Have a good weekend. Certainly look forward to talking to Grayson on Monday as well. Okay, good night, guys. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.